Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello and welcome to Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs in Canada. I am your host, Stephen Van Lopen. I'm an Anishinaabe from Saugeen and First Nation, Ontario, and my goal is to introduce you to many of the amazing Indigenous entrepreneurs from across Turtle Island. Those who are doing great things for their peoples, communities, and this nation that we call Canada. It's high time that Canadians knew just how big of an impact Indigenous entrepreneurs are having locally, regionally, and nationally. With me today is Will Rogers, President of Niche Security. Will is Anishinaabe from Alderville First Nation, Ontario, and as President of Niche Security, he focuses on securing assets, people, sites, and special events. Will, welcome to Canada's podcast. You know, let's let's start off with uh, with some easy questions here. You know, tell us a bit about your background and really what inspired you to become an entrepreneur. Yeah, sure. So, growing up, my mom was a single mom. Uh, she worked midnight shift at a grocery store all every night, seven days a week, and somehow we always got by. And not with much, but we always got by. And then uh, growing up more and more, I had little family kind of depended on me a little bit more and more growing up. And I just kind of decided working for minimum wage at a grocery store myself was not cutting it. So I looked at what I could do. I had no money, but I had no real business skills or experience. So how can I make that work? And that's when I started my first company at 17. And so you're now in the security business. Tell us how did you how did you move into the into the security space? Yeah, sure. So my first company was junk removal, low cost, low risk, right? I had a pickup truck. Um, and then I security now is high risk and but high outcomes. So what I did was I I, I did my my junk removal, I did well at it. I went to school for law, for policing. Um, but I have a heart condition, so I couldn't do it. Couldn't be a cop, and but I still wanted to help people. And so I, with the junk removal, I had the knack for business, and so I I started dabbling in some security. I started with the uh, Holiday Inn in Peterborough. Actually, I was a manager of security there, and uh, kind of every evening getting yelled at by the people out from the bars, and it just kind of blossomed. So you had a uh, uh, an entrance into it from another position that you had, like like many entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I learned the do's don'ts. Um, that's kind of where I got the training. That's where I, between that and college for policing is where I learned the conflict management and de escalation skills. And then the the entrepreneurship part, I, you I, I just learned that as kind of as I went right, the government aspect, the taxes, the registering. And deals I learned as I went, and I'm sure you can agree. Like you still learn every day. Yeah, absolutely. So, are there any unique cultural or or perhaps community influences that have helped shape your entrepreneurial journey? There is, yes. Um, so we uh, growing up in, in with being in college, uh, Fleming the the Aboriginal Lounge is well, at least that's what they call it at the time. We had a lot of elders. We had elders in there almost every day. So I talked to them a lot. I talked about what I want to do in the future. I talked about my possibilities. And they talked to me about the way that they see me and the way that, that uh, our ancestors see me and stuff with some ceremonies and stuff. And we, they kind of told me, like, listen, you have a knack for helping. You have a knack for 
uh, protecting. Run with it. Go with it. Figure, and then with the elders in the community, um, we really kind of came together. And then with me working at the Holiday Inn part-time, we just kind of came together. That, that's, that was my calling. Well, uh, at what point did you move from there and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go, go at this full stop. I am going to start a business because there's always something that propels someone to take that next step. What was that for you? Well, so I always had the joint move all the way through with security, but it was always just like, I was only ever like making like a hundred bucks a job. Right. Um, so that kind of, I guess my 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 story is kind of unique that way. I was I always had a business that was kind of just bottom level, staying at bottom level. So I took all my skills, and I went and because I knew the bar area, I registered an Ontario corporation and I went to the bars in the area, and I just said, "Hey, do you guys can I do your security? Can we do it?" And because they all knew me, one by one by one by one, they were willing to sign on. But again, I found myself in a tough spot. I was only making two three dollars an hour off each person. So then I, that's when I eventually I transitioned into uh, looking at corporate security and looking at the bigger, the bigger players, the bigger kind of jobs, more liability, but you know, but it pay off. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there must've been um, unique challenges that, that you face as an indigenous entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur in general, when it comes to starting your business, can you share, you know, what are some of those specific hurdles that you've encountered and how did you overcome them? Yeah. So, you know what? We're st- I'm still trying to overcome them day by day. Uh, so I can't even answer that fully yet. It, it's uh, I'm only 26 as it is. And so, but when I tried to do security at a bar, I got the most obvious stereotypes. Are you sure you're going to be able to do this? You won't come to work drunk. Oh, is it just because you like to fight? Right. And honestly, the big, the best way I overcame those is I, I'd laugh at the business. I'd laugh at the bar owner. I said, like, are, you, are you serious? You think, why would I come to work drunk? And they said, well, you're like indigenous. And I said, yeah. But that doesn't answer my question. And I kind of put them on the spot. And then they, both, nine times out of 10, they just said, okay, well, you know what? We'll give you a chance. But if you do that, then we have to let you go. And I said, yeah, well, I don't see why that would ever have to happen. And then word got out. So having to overcome discrimination right from the outset has been, you know, one of the the challenges that that you've had to face. And I mean that that's got to be tough, you know, when you're when you're starting out trying to create a business and just wanting a chance. I mean, were there any supports that you had to reach out to just to be able to decompress from what a, you know, what what must be a challenging situation when you have to hear that? Besides family and like two close friends, no. Um like you always battle, at least I always battle with the thought of what if I just have like like a like a white manager or something that I can have be the face of the company that I can have him go out and try to get contracts. Would mm-hmm. it be better? Would I do better? Um, I still think I think about that daily, as a lot of companies just try and kind of still shut the door on you. <laughs> like they talk about the reconciliation reconciliation and everything nowadays, but that's just they're just willing to have a thirty minute phone call with you. And then they don't talk to you again. Well, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, particularly ones from diverse and, and disadvantaged backgrounds, have uh, thought of similar things. You know, uh, yeah. the path that I'm taking is much more challenging. And, you know, this path to entrepreneurship and, and success in entrepreneurship would be 
potentially easier with uh, some non-Indigenous support. Um, yeah, that yeah, has like, that that has that has to be a challenge. You know, every day that you go out there, it is. And I always sit there when I'm whenever I'm filling out like an offer or something. I always wonder because sometimes it says like, "Are you Indigenous?" I always sit there and hesitate. Should I say yes or should I say no? Should I try to bid like everybody else or should I like? Are they asking for good reasons or bad? Hmm. No matter the even if it's some like uh, um, government of Canada things, why? Like, is, should I say yes or should I not? I always hesitate. And sometimes I don't always say yes, still. Well, as we know, you know, entrepreneurship can be a roller coaster ride, you know, highs and lows. How do you yeah. make this to stay focused when those times are turbulent? Are, are there anything that you do that you can share with our listeners? Yeah. So, you know what? Um, the month of August, so I get parts with it. The month of August was a low for us. Um, we had next to no. Next to no work coming in. Summer, so summertime with security is either you're doing festivals, which is all event, it's a headache, or you're really doing not much. A lot of corporations take holidays, right? So that was us. Um, and what, what I had to do was I had to just kind of take a break myself for about a week or two, kind of not turn the company off, but put it, put it a little bit lower and act like I was taking my own holidays just so I didn't get fully discouraged, just to make myself kind of have a restart enjoy some of the weather and not get told like, yeah, you get, I, as an entrepreneur, you get told no, like three out of four times. Right. But when you hit a low, sometimes it feels like you get told no four out of four times mm. constantly. So that's how I overcame it this summer is I just kind of turned it off, like turned it on a minimum and just kind of kept working towards it. I still email some people every once in a while. I still make some phone calls. Well, just touch base, keep up. But that's, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of, that's a really tough one. And that's that's one that I think you'll always have to change and adapt as you get older. And as your business gets bigger or smaller, you'll always have to change and adapt how you do that. Well, I think our listeners would agree that uh, you always have to pick up the phone, you know, and, and, and nine times out of 10, you're right. It actually is um, more no's than yeses, but... You know, let's talk about some of those successes, right? Because you're yeah. still here. You're still operating your business. It's growing. Um, you face challenges like every other entrepreneur out there. But, you know, what are those successes that you've had along the way? Yeah, so my, my first company, uh, the one that really grabbed me to be an entrepreneur, this is the moment that I really, like, I was not looking back. I was doing business to public as drug removal. And people were arguing with me over $5, $10. Right. I remember I hauled over a thousand pounds of concrete away for a lady and she didn't want to, she didn't want to do a $10 bump in the price. And that was all hard labor. Right? It took me eight hours and I think it was like plus 32 that day, just hauling cement, big, big chunks of cement. So I went business to business. I went from targeting the public to I went to targeting real estate agents as a junk removal company. They're selling multi-million dollar houses. They need to be cleaned out of the garbage. My first one, I got a $3,000 tip. Because I, I, I he quoted him two days. I did it one day. Mm. And he was more than happy. And I said, you know what? There's my heart. There's work being paid off. And there's people appreciating it. And then he, the referrals started coming in. And I've never, I, I can't look back since. That's like, I've worked for commission jobs. I've done this and that. But you're still always like under somebody else's umbrella. 
So now that's that was the very moment that transitioned me to wanting to be business to business for one and an entrepreneur. So, I mean, definitely a, a, a crucial moment that, you know, allowed you to focus where you want to go and who you wanted to support as a, as a business owner. Mm-hmm. And so I, like many Indigenous business uh, owners, often prioritize sustainability, community well-being as they're setting up their business model. Now, tell us a bit about how uh, your business uh, aligns with these values and the impact that you're able to have on your community. Yeah, so any community I go to work in, I try to find talent in that community. So with my head office being in Toronto, if I go to Thunder Bay, I have zero interest in bringing people from Thunder Bay or from Toronto, sorry. I try to find the talent in Thunder Bay. Now, that's not to say that maybe I have to start for a week or two with people out there if the contract doesn't start right away, bring people up, but I will always try to train and find the talent in the area. Um, I'm a big person for local jobs, local benefits, I guess you could say. So that's one thing I always do. So when we work, we work with some First Nations um, uh, for their powwows and ceremonies and stuff for security. And I do the same thing. I hire from the community. That's my first go-to. And I I, go, I, will, I spend my time, I go to the community, I try to. Um, and I found that a lot of the communities really appreciate that. And it goes a lot it goes a lot farther. But on my behalf, my personal opinion too, security is all liability. Nobody knows that community better than a community member. Are you ready for your next challenge? CarStar, Canada's premier collision repair leader, is hiring. Whether you're a seasoned pro or new to the industry, your local CarStar is ready to help kickstart your career. Join the CarStar team on carstarjobs.ca. Right? So who's going to know like who's going to know when the troubled person from the community comes in? That community member. Who's going to know some people struggled in the community? That community member. So with security being a liability, hiring from the community only makes sense every way around it. Or any way you look at it, it only makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So who have some of your mentors or role models been? Uh, elders from the community. Um, uh, some uh, Barry from the federal procurement. He's helped me a lot with some very, very basic answers. Uh, I was involved with the innovation cluster in Peterborough for a little while with my drug removal company. Um, so like those little incubators, I know a lot of them are built around tech. I'm not a tech person. Um, I haven't really found one that's built around hands-on businesses. But if you're a tech company or if you're a hands-on uh, person that wants to be an entrepreneur, still check out those incubators. Because there's, like, there's one that the government uh, funds. It's called Fast Start. You don't have to be a tech company for that. That's the one that I fell under. And then you get professional help and support along the way. So really being able to take advantage of the uh, wealth of supports through the programmings uh, that are there to support entrepreneurs has been, has been important to you. Yeah, hundred percent. Like no way possible. Are they all in one answer? They're not going to hand it to you and they shouldn't hand it to you. So if they do, you're not going to succeed when they go away, but they are definitely a strong support and they are, the right people to kind of lean on. So collaboration and partnerships are also essential to many businesses, right? You talked about referrals. What values or qualities do you look for when evaluating whether or not to enter into a partnership with another business? So I love collaborations. I love businesses and two businesses working together for one goal. 
Um, it's one of my most favorite things I strive towards. What what I look for is if they have the same kind of values as me. They're not necessarily they didn't not meaning like indigenous values, but like do they do they care about the the entry level people? Do they care about the community? Do they care about the way that they carry themselves? And do they care when 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 an employee makes it messes up, and like a coaching session has to be done? How do they handle it? Do they handle it as I'm the big boss and you're gonna listen to me, or do they handle it as let's teach you properly? Those are the those are the key things that I look for. So showing more leadership than um, typical command structure uh, is is necessary with uh, you know when when working with uh, communities, disadvantaged communities, our peoples. Um, would you agree? Yeah, uh, that's my leadership skills. You know, there's not like all my guards have always said. There's not one thing that Will won't do that he asks us to do. There's one situation where somebody was armed. And I was the first one walking up. I told my guards to hang back. Right. And that's the kind of leadership that I choose to show and that I choose to provide is I lead, I literally lead by example. I, I sometimes get criticized that I need to explain more to them and not show them as much, but I show them first. So this is the year of reconciliation and everyone's talking about economic reconciliation in particular. What does that mean to you? And what advice do you have for people who are looking to support indigenous businesses? So that, yeah, I love that question. So one thing, one piece of advice that I have is um, it's great to, to make the original phone call and the connection, but strong follow throughs. So there's a lot of big corporations out there that reach that reach out to me and stuff. But then they never want to get back on the phone. They never want to move forward. They never, like, I don't even know where the contract is or if, if there's one coming up. But then they'll have, they'll have like a day for the community and they spotlight us. Oh, we know Will, he's great, blah, 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 indigenous. But then when we go home, we never hear from them again. So just always follow through, follow up and put in the full effort. Deliver on what you say you're going to do. I get that yeah. all the time. You know, as an entrepreneur, um, people will call me for any number of reasons. You know, I mean, we sell product. Um, you know, we will get a lot of folks that want to do big things, but barely, very few actually deliver, right? Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because smaller businesses, diverse businesses, we can play a critical role in um minimizing some of the risk that some of the bigger organizations have by diversifying their supply chain, giving them access to, um, let's say, procurement opportunities and, and whatnot. So how do you stay focused? How do you keep driving forward despite some of those challenges where, um, you know, you think there might be an opportunity and folks don't get back? Because that can be a bit discouraging. It's massively discouraging. Um but the truth is, is the way the thing that keeps me going is community. Like when I met you uh, that one day, stuff like that, and other community members and stuff that we're all kind of doing it together. We're all trying different skills, different backgrounds, but um, we're all in it together. It's true. Like that thing is very true, especially with the indigenous community. So I just basically, I guess, just community is what keeps me going. And so what's what's next for you? What are your uh, you know, what what's in store for niche security? So for niche, um, 
we are trying to we are trying to work with some of the bigger corporations. We are trying to uh, build more uh, community based training. Uh, we are trying to become a licensed trainer so that we can go into some of the reservations and stuff and train some people. Uh, but yeah, we are we're really just trying to expand and get some get some key partners. We're morely into quality rather than quantity. So I'd rather have four customers that are have a good amount of work rather than have 200 customers that have one person because all my staff also want to be able to move up and have better positions. They don't want to stay at the same level. Right. Absolutely. And I was also recently looking into Texas. I was thinking about possibly opening a branch in Texas. Well, some big things, big things in the, uh, in the future for, for niche security. Um, before we move to our, our rapid fire question, you know, Quickly tell us, you know, what are your hopes and aspirations for the future of Indigenous entrepreneurship? I like. I would really love to see, um, within the near future, a lot, lot more of younger entrepreneurs coming into the game with more solid tools at their disposal than what they have now, which will therefore turn into more stronger confidence and abilities. I've attended a few things with like uh, pitch competitions and stuff for some uh, young entrepreneurs that are like 17, 18 that are indigenous. And they're very, they're very, very scared and shy and, and undecisive if they even belong. And that was, the, that was just this year. So I believe with the right tools in their, in their pocket, the right, which some of it, some of one tool is mentorship, right? So the right tools in their pocket and the right kind of guidance. I think that we could really turn the economy around. And that we could, uh, the indigenous people alone, we could be a big asset to every kind of organization out there. Our youth are our future. <clears throat> and giving them the skills and the confidence to get out there in the business world will be key, you know, for, for this nation and uh, for our communities in particular. So one of the things that, uh, that we do in this podcast is uh, we end with rapid fire questions. It's just a quick way for us to get to know you. So, you know, let's share with the listeners, whatever comes to the top of your head. So. What's your go-to mantra or motto that helps keep you motivated? Keep going, no matter how many no's you hear. Try to pretend like they were maybes. If you could have dinner with any business leader, leader, living or historical, who would it be? Ironically, it'd be Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. I'd like to pick his brain. What's the most surprising thing that you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey? People say no because they're worried about the outcome, even though they know that they need your service. And can you share a book or resource that has made a significant impact on your entrepreneurial mindset? Well, yeah, being being part of security and all liability, just I just I watch the news heavily for what's going on in violence world and economy. And finally, what's the one piece of advice you wish someone had given you when you first started your business? Don't worry about funding when you start. Worry about the worry about operations and logistics. Don't worry about funding. Well, well, this has been an absolute pleasure to sit down with you. Uh, I know you're uh, you're you're a busy person. You're you're there. You're growing a company. <clears throat> Look forward to watching you grow, uh, expand uh, internationally. And with that, that has been today's episode of Canada Pod- Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurship in Canada. Join us next time, and thanks for, thanks for being with us. No problem. Thanks for having me.